two questions for us this morning. Question number one, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, if you have saving faith in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, where does that faith actually come from? Or if you don't like ending sentences with a preposition, from where does your faith come? If you have faith, how is it that you, or anyone else for that matter, actually has it? Where does your faith come from? That's the first question. The second question is if you have faith, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, can that faith, can your faith be lost? Can you fall away from the faith? Can you lose your salvation? As our evangelical brothers and sisters often say, are you once saved, always saved, or can you fall away from the faith? Because here in the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote, the entire context of this letter, and remember that we believe this is probably the very first book of the New Testament ever written, the entire context and the reason why Paul is writing this letter is that the Christians in this region of Galatia were in the process, at least, of falling away from the faith, from the gospel. You remember the story... Paul has planted churches in this region known as Galatia. It's present-day Turkey. And after Paul has preached the good news of God's grace in Christ, then came along the false teachers, and they were saying, yes, you're saved by Jesus and his death and his resurrection, but you also have to keep all of the Old Testament ceremonial law, and there's moral law and the commandments of God, so you're saved by Jesus, but you're also saved by how religious you are and how good you are. And they started to believe that. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, again, these words. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What is Paul saying? He's saying that they're certainly at least in the process of deserting him, of deserting Christ, and of turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. That these Christians here in Galatia, the Galatians, were in the process, at least, of losing and of falling away from the faith. But then Paul goes and he writes another letter to Christians in Philippi. It's called the Philippians. And here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says one thing, but in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he seems to say something completely different. In fact, the exact opposite, where he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this. I am confident that God is going to bring it to completion and that you cannot fall away from the faith. And so what is Paul doing here? He's saying one thing to the Christians in Galatia, warning them not to fall away, and to the Christians here at Philippi, he's saying that you can't fall away. So which one 
is it? Again, the two questions that are before us today, the first question is, where does your faith come from? How is it that you actually have faith? But then number two, if you have it, can you lose it? Can you fall away? Let's look at that first question. How do you actually come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because this is what Paul is talking about here in our text, Galatians chapter 4, where again Paul is referencing Abraham and that story from the Old Testament and making a bit of an analogy, speaking figuratively here. He speaks about Abraham and he says this, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The slave woman was Hagar, the free one was his wife Sarah. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, that is, he was born in a natural way. But the son of the free woman, Sarah, was born through promise, that is, he was actually born in a supernatural way. Now let me remind you of the story. Uh, Abraham, God comes to Abraham when he is 75 years old. And he says, Abraham, you are gonna have a son. His wife Sarah was barren. She could not have a child, deeply disgraceful in that particular era, in that time, and in that culture. He says, you're gonna have a son. In fact, you're gonna be a great nation, as numerous as the stars of the sky, and one is gonna come from your family line that's gonna be a blessing to all peoples, all nations, all ethnicities, and that, of course, is a reference to the coming of the Messiah of Christ. He says, you're gonna have a son. Oh, 10 years pass, a decade, still no child, no son. So Sarah, his wife, says, oh, I got a great idea. Abraham, you should be with my handmaiden named Hagar, and you can have a child, you can have a son through her. And Abraham says, that sounds like a great idea. So he goes and he's with Hagar, and they have a son, and his name is Ishmael. Promise fulfilled. But God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, no, 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 no. You can't manipulate your way into fulfilling my promises for you. Ishmael is not the son. He is not the son of promise. And so it's 15 more years. Abraham is 100 years old. And Sarah conceives and gives birth to a son, and they name him what? Isaac. And you can just imagine Abraham going out of the tent and counting all the stars in the sky. But listen to how this is actually described in Genesis chapter 21. And again, our question is, how do we come to faith? Look at what it says. Genesis chapter 21. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Did Abraham have anything to do with Isaac being conceived or born? No. Did Sarah have anything to do with Isaac being conceived or born? No. And some of you ladies, well, she had a little bit to do with the, the borning, the birthing part. It's not Abraham. It's not Sarah. Isaac had nothing to do with his entrance into this world and being born and being a son and being a child. Whose work was it? The Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. In other words, Ishmael was born, and that was 100% just the natural way that people are conceived and are born. But Isaac is conceived and born not by anything that was natural, but it was super natural. It was 100% the work of God and of God alone. Which why, in reference to our faith and how we become children of God, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. He says, now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. In other words, you are the children of God, you have faith in God, not because of yourself, but because of God. You have faith in God, if you have faith in Christ, it is not by your own reason or your own strength, ultimately, or your own ability. But you are actually supernatural. God has worked in a supernatural way to produce faith within you and to keep you, yes, within that faith. This is what Jesus is talking about in our gospel reading from John chapter 3, verse 3. When he says these, and these are maybe fairly well-known words, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. The Greek here is purposefully ambiguous. It means born again. The Greek here also means unless one is born from above. Unless you're born again, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, he is saying that God has to do something from above supernaturally upon your sinful and hardened heart that you may believe, that you may have faith, that you might be born again, born from above, a child of God. Now Jesus goes on. Three chapters after this in John chapter 6, verse 44, where he says this, even clearer, I think. He says, and this is the words of Jesus, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Other translations say, unless the Father enables him. No one can come to me. Now, what if Jesus put the period right there? No one can come to me. Bye. 
No one can come to me unless the Father does something that draws us to him, that enables us. Now, Paul goes on and perhaps makes it even clearer or more explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except how? How? By the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord, the words of faith, except in or by the Holy Spirit working on your hearts. No one can. Now, I remember being in school. Some of you guys are still in school. And I'd raise my hand, and I would say, Teacher, can I sharpen my pencil? And my teacher invariably would say something like, I don't know, can you? Oh, yeah, right, yes, I forgot the difference between can and may. May I sharpen my pencil? Well, yes, you may. There's a big difference between the words may and can. May speaks about permission, but can speaks about what? Our ability. Jesus here is saying no one has the ability in and of themselves to come to me unless the Father enables them. Paul is saying no one has the ability to even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Three analogies that maybe you've heard. Or maybe not. Three analogies. Number one, there's an election going on and God votes for you and the devil votes against you and you have to cast the deciding vote. What's it going to be? Or you are sick unto death in the hospital. Sick unto death and there is life-saving medicine but someone has to take that bottle of medicine. They have to open up the bottle of medicine. They have to pour that life-saving medicine into a spoon. They have to put that spoon with the life-saving medicine up to your lips but if you don't crack your lips open and receive that medicine you will surely die. Or a third. You're a person who's drowning in the ocean. You've gone down once, you've gone down twice, you're going down for the third and the final time. Someone comes to the boat, they have a life ring. And they got to get really close to you and they better throw that life ring and be very accurate because just the tips of your fingers are now sticking up above that water. They throw the life ring to you, it hits you right there in your hand, on your fingers, but if you don't curl your fingers and take a hold of that life ring, you will surely die. Now listen, don't get me wrong, please hear me. The Bible speaks from a human perspective and says, choose this day whom you will serve. And you can make a decision for Christ. And if you never have opened up your heart and make a decision to say, and say, I want you, Jesus, in your love, in your forgiveness, in my life right now. That is a human perspective. But the Bible also speaks, not just from a human vantage point, but from God's heavenly perspective and pulls back the veil to show us that if you do have faith in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you do have faith in Jesus Christ, 
It is not ultimately your own ability, your own reason, or your strength. It is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You are a miracle. Because yes, there's an election going on. God votes for you. The devil doesn't have a vote. You don't have a vote. God has chosen you. Paul says, his words, even from before the foundation of the earth was laid. Amazing. The life-saving medicine isn't administered to you as you're sick unto death. Rather, that life-saving medicine is administered to a corpse that's in the morgue. We're dead, spiritually speaking, in our sin. You're not just a person who's gone down once, gone down twice, or gone down for the third and the final time. Rather, you are stone-cold dead, spiritually speaking, at the bottom of the midnight zone of the ocean, and God the Holy Spirit dives into the water, picks you up, takes you out into the dry land, and breathes into you the very breath of life itself. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And even this is not from yourselves, your faith. It is the gift of God. And so this is why Luther would say this in his small catechism, his explanation to the third article of the creed. You know, if you don't believe in Jesus or the words of Paul, maybe Luther? No, reverse that, please. But Luther said, I believe that I cannot, there's that word again, cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, the good news of Jesus, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. If you have faith, if you're here today, Christian, it is ultimately not your own ability. It is 100% the gift of God, and that should be a comfort. And Luther here says, sanctified, kept me in the true faith. Kept me. Okay, well now that leads us to our second question. This is how we come to faith ultimately, but how we are we Captain, can we lose our faith? Walk away? Hmm. Because remember, Galatians is the whole point. Paul's writing to people who are who are doing that, who are walking away from Christ. Let's compare and contrast some scripture. Warning: It's not that simple. Can you lose your faith? Can you lose your faith? Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Can you lose your faith? No, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, one verse after. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The words of Jesus from Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Can you lose your faith? Yes. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Can you lose your faith? No. John chapter 10, verse 28, the words of Jesus. No one can snatch them out of my hand. By the way, I was hoping to do a little compare and a little contrast, but the screen isn't working. Let's look at one more. 
Can you lose your faith? The words of Hebrews chapter 6, these are some of the most scariest words of scripture. It says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, if you have tasted of the heavenly gifts, if you have, have, have are partaken in the very Holy Spirit of God, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. If you have faith and if you fall away, you cannot be brought back. But again, the words of Philippians, verse 6 of chapter 1, can you lose your faith? No. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You will be kept in the faith. <laughs> Last night I received a text after the service. Pastor, you didn't answer the question. I can only speak or say what the Word of God says. And the word of God certainly seems to at least strongly imply that absolutely we can fall away from the faith. And at the same time, God's word reveals that he will keep you in the faith. It's ultimately not your work. Remember, it's his work. This is a paradox. It looks like a contradiction. It certainly looks like a contradiction to me. Doesn't it look like one to you? In the mind of God, we would say it's not a contradiction, but you know, I'm finite. My brain is really tiny and small, and I cannot understand all the things that God reveals to us or understand the mind of God. I'm also fallen, and sin has affected my ability to reason and understand. It might look kind of like a contradiction to us. It is in the mind of God, but God has revealed these things to us for a reason, and as we wrap up here, I think it's very practical. People will come to me as a pastor and they'll say, Pastor, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my faith? Here's my response. Why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? Well, I'm, uh, I'm 18 years old and uh, I've got a... Uh, a lot of kegs of some uh, fermented goodness. I've got some legalized Colorado whatever, and there's a bunch of uh, sweet ladies and my buddies, and we're going to go up to the mountains, and we're going to have a cabin, we're going to have a party, and I, I, you know, church is kind of boring. So I'm just wondering, Pastor, before all that happens, can I lose my faith? Yes. And I can point you to some scriptures. Pastor, can I lose my faith? Well, why do you want to know? I work so hard all week long. Sunday morning rolls around. I just want to have time with my family, sleep in, go up to the mountains, relax. You know, I Googled, dangerous thing, I Googled top 10 reasons why Christians don't go to church. Not just regular people. Christians. Top ten reason why Christians don't come to church. The number one reason was bad weather. Okay. The number two reason was good weather. 
beautiful day. We don't want to waste it at church. So we should just pray for sort of semi-okay weather. We had a global pandemic. I know there's some people who just can't still be in groups. They're, they're in, 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 immunocompromised, et cetera. There are members of this congregation who have never been back to church. Can I lose my faith? Let me remind you of the words of Hebrews chapter six, which says that those who have once been enlightened and who have shared and tasted in the heavenly gifts, have shared in the Holy Spirit of God, if they fall away, it is impossible for them to come back. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I pray for the souls of those that we have not seen. One more. Pastor, can I lose my faith? Why do you want to know? And this has happened on more than one occasion. I'm a 96-year-old woman. I'm in the hospital. I'm about to breathe my final breath, my time is coming. I've done things in my past which still haunt me. There are sins that I've committed. There are things that I've done that I still feel guilt and shame. And here I am and I'm dying and I'm scared. I'm scared, Pastor. My faith, I don't even know if I have. My faith is so weak, Pastor. Can I lose my faith? And what do I say? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion that no one and nothing can snatch you, can take you out of the omnipotent and all-loving arms of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You are his. His promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And some of you say, but how do I know? How do I know? I mean, my faith, my faith. I mean, how do I know that I'm truly saved and I'm truly, well, don't look to your faith, whether it's strong or weak, it's going to waver. You can't look to your emotions. You can't look to your works because sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. Where do we look? We can only look to Jesus Christ, to God on a cross for you, to an empty tomb, to his resurrection, to the waters of your baptism where he claimed you as his child. 100% his work, not yours. And even as you come forward this morning, if you're coming for communion, you take and eat and take and drink. Christ himself is here. And when you take and eat and take and drink, you know you are his. And he has you in his arms. So that's why we say to Christ alone be all the glory.